IndieCast is presented by Uproxx's Indie Mixtape. Hello everyone and welcome to IndieCast. On this show we talk about the biggest indie news of the week, we review albums and we hash out trends. In this episode we answer questions from you, the IndieCast listener. My name is Stephen Hyden and I'm joined by my friend and co-host, the number one artist on Rolling Stone's Best Songs of All Time <laughs> list, Ian Cohen. Ian, how are you? Well, you know, I, I hope you're like me right now and you have like a case of Diet Mountain Dew and some Quest bars and maybe uh, you know, some adult diapers to sit here because we're going to like just rock out one by one a recap of Rolling Stone's 500 Best Songs of All Time list. Yeah. It is a 25-part episode. It is some real Ken's Burns shit. It's gonna be epic. Yeah, can I just say like this is we've we've made references to adult diapers. I feel a couple episodes in a row now. What we're doing is we're just like really setting we're setting the scene for us to get that big depends uh you know sponsorship. We are just like oh, priming the pump. That's gonna be like the we're, like we're gonna be able to do this podcast literally into our eighties. Indie pens, indie pens, right? The 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 depends for the indie cast listener. I think it just be depends. <laughs> we don't even need to, we don't even need to tweak the name. So we've made joking reference to I guess this was uh, the big conversation topic this week in music fan circles talking about the Rolling Stone list of 500 greatest songs of all time. Did you actually read that list? Um, I, I mean, I I looked it over. It, look, I mean, having come back from pitch, I just found it exhausting. Yeah, just the, the thought to, of to it. To think about. I mean, I I appreciate what Rolling Stone is doing. Yeah. Lists are big business on the internet. People love lists. They love to look at them. They love to argue about them. They love to hate them. Mm-hmm. I write lists fairly often, mm-hmm. so I understand how it works, but. It's hard for me to even contemplate the 500 greatest songs of all time. Like I, I got a ballot for this, and I couldn't fill it out because where do you even begin? Yeah, with songs, it's albums are hard enough. Songs to me, if you're talking about just like the body of song, I don't know how you even begin to approach that. Yeah, I mean, also I think it's you know emblematic of this entire enterprise that the basis behind wanting to do a new 500 best songs of all time list was to you know reflect uh you know demographic changes and you know new genres and just a real shift in the i guess the the narrative or the canon and it's also within an issue with dave grohl on the cover so you know that kind of just that kind of just shows you like what it's like you know i beat the new boss like same as the old boss i don't think i like I I think that's how the lyric goes, Steve. Double fact check me on this. I, yeah, you got it. Yeah, you got I, it. I didn't get a Rolling Stone ballot, so I'm not as familiar. So I'm clearly not as familiar with the Who. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, it, it, when I, I had to just for curiosity's sake see what the top songs were, I skipped immediately. Like I saw that people were complaining about Old Town Road being somewhere in the back end above like a Miles Davis song, and then so I just had to look at the top fifty. Out of curiosity, and also so we'd have something to talk about today. And um, 
look, it's it's still kind of adheres to the boomer idea of like what rock music is supposed to do, which is well, number one is was respect. Yeah, number two was Franklin. Number two was uh, Public Enemy, Fight the Power, which I thought was an interesting choice. Um, and number three, I think, was Sam Cooke, A Change Is Gonna Come. So it right. it's well within the framework of music should you know have some sort of like social component to it or reflect the turbulence of the 60s because they you know they compare uh smells like teen spirit and uh, fight the power to protest songs like by bob dylan or pete seeger and i I, right i just can't imagine like nirvana was protesting uh children's deodorant i think (laughs) with that song Right? Was that was that was that the protest of Smells Like Teen Spirit? Uh, it was. Uh, I don't know what I don't know what they'd be protesting with that song. It was about corporate magazine sucking. I think that's what they were protesting. Oh, there you I, go. I guess we missed the point of that song then. <laughs> I mean, I think the thing with these lists is, and I'm gonna go on a limb. I'm gonna say you're gonna agree with me on this that like individual lists are always more interesting, Absolutely. than institutional lists. And I think the trap that you run into with these institutional lists is that there's this idea that greatest is uh equivalent to important yeah you know like these are the most important songs and obviously you can make the case fight the power probably the best protest song of the last 40 years i mean it's hard for me to think of a better protest song than that but it's like if you like public enemy is that the song you want to listen to at this point or like if you like aretha franklin do you really want to hear respect again yeah you know (laughs) it's like it's songs that we all recognize as having cultural import, but they're also the songs that, that I think we're all sick to death of. Yeah. So it it, it it makes lists like this feel a little joyless in a way. Like it doesn't feel sub- celebratory. It feels almost like uh, like obligatory that you would have to say, you know, respect is the greatest song, and you know you got to have like a Rolling Stone up there, and you have to have Smells Like Teen Spirit mm-hmm. up there. All of these Marvin recognized. Gay, of yeah, all these recognized masterpieces that they're great, but we're all, I think, sick of them. I mean, no <laughs> one's really. I mean, I, I know Sounds Like Teen Spirit is like one of the most streamed songs of the 20th century. Uh, there was like a list that was shared of that recently. And uh, I think Sounds Like Teen Spirit was the only 90s rock song in the top 10. Like half of the list was. Wonderwall was, wasn't in there? Oh, you know, you're right. Yeah, Wonderwall okay. was in there too. I just think of Oasis as being timeless, so that's why I didn't think of it as a '90s rock song. <laughs> but yeah, it's like it's like Oasis, Nirvana, and like five Queen songs, and 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 things like that. But um, yeah, I just feel like when you have an individual list, it just will inevitably be more idiosyncratic and interesting, and and you just feel like it's more of a passion project for the list maker rather than these huge lists that like a hundred people voted on. Yeah, and all, like we have to also consider the fact they say. Greatest songs of all time, and their frame of reference more or less seems to cut off in the '60s. I mean, you know, like where's where's Camp Down Races or Mama's Little Baby Loves Shortening Bread or Hava Nagila or you know. uh, what about someone called Mozart yeah. Rolling Stone? Have you have you heard of him? Is Little Nas X better than Mozart? But yeah, it, it just this felt to me, and like most lists that span this period of time, it just felt like a book report about the 500 best songs of all time. Like if you were to really get any of these people, um, you know, in a, like put them in front of a jukebox at a bar, uh, would respect or fight the power or what's going on be like the first song they reach for. So yeah, look, it's, 
I, I just feel exhausted even having talked about it for five minutes. But you know what? I can't wait till we do. I can't wait till we do it again in like ten years or something like that. Um, you know what? Like I have to respect the the places that actually leave their lists. Like the same Pitchfork '90s albums list has been there since I think two thousand three. Um, yeah, I res I, I I respect them sticking to it. I'm shocked they haven't updated it yet because I mean, like. Liquid Swords and Stankoni are, are below like several Tom Waits albums or something along those lines. So, well, and I think that is interesting to me about again these institutional lists that uh, you know you have. I think the last Rolling Stone songs list was two thousand four. Yeah, and there were people comparing the two lists and how, for instance, I think there were maybe a dozen Elvis songs on the two thousand four <laughs> list, and there's maybe two on this one. Huh. Um, and obviously, Elvis is a person who. He seems to be, uh, you know, people are sort of easing him out of the canon gradually. Yeah. Uh, you know, he like he was, when I first started learning about music, he was considered one of the most important artists ever. And now people are saying, well, he's not as good as Chuck Berry or Little Richard or any of his contemporaries, mm-hmm. which I think is all... I actually think Elvis is kind of underrated now, but yes. like I, I think I think it's good that he's been contextualized that way. That he's not like the only '50s rocker. I mean, it seems like that's how he was treated for a long time. But uh, I guess in contrast to that, that there, there were like more Bowie songs on this list than the, the 2004. So like his stock has gone up. I assume that there's probably more Fleetwood Mac songs and, and Queen songs. Yeah, it's interesting because. Uh, when, at work when I see teens and like the adolescents like people who are under the age of 18 like the stock of Fleetwood Mac of David Bowie of Queen is just skyrocketed they're wearing those sweatshirts and so um, I think that this is going like if there's any uh, record company that has like an artist say like I don't know The Clash and they want to they're sitting on this catalog they really want to give it a, a, a boost they're going to make a movie out of this person yeah, that that totally works, man. Yeah, the the movie thing. I mean, I think Queen already had that to uh, to their benefit. Uh, you know, I think they were already surging. But yeah, then that that terrible movie. <laughs> Did you see Bohemian Rhapsody? It's awful. No, I I, I, I saw just the clips of it where people would post. Um, I, I think it was what like the, it won a it it won an Oscar for like best uh, art direction or something like that or best camera work. And they no, it was best editing. Best editing, and, and they showed like these clips of how it was, you know, like edited like the Homer Simpson tape when he goes on rock bottom, like uh, sweet cans, we can't, <laughs> can't, like stuff like that. So, um, look, I, I I don't need to see it. Like, yeah, I mean, it's it's entertainingly bad. Like, it's a movie that if it were on television and I was flipping through, I would probably watch it for a half hour because it's very watchable, and I love bad music biopics anyway you know like when uh like when vh1 would do biopics like they did like a Def leopard movie uh have you seen that wait one? there is a Def leopard movie there's a Def leopard biopic what? uh that came out it was a vh1 movie and anthony michael hall plays mutt lang <laughs> say no <laughs> Just, more Say no more. You could probably find it on YouTube. I, I think it's called Hysteria, the Def Leppard story. And it was made in 2001? Um, yeah. Wow. I've, I've seen this movie multiple times. And it, it might actually be better than Bohemian Rhapsody. All right. Uh, I think I would give it the edge, just because Anthony Michael Hall isn't in Bohemian Rhapsody. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's like 
of similar quality. Uh, and yeah, I saw it. Yeah, I love that movie. Yeah. Okay. So the first thing I find when I uh, Google this is an article from ultimateclassicrock.com where it says, Joe Elliott feared no one wanted to make a biopic about Def Leppard following the 2001 TV movie called The Biggest Pile of Shit Ever Made. So <laughs> uh, I got to watch that now. Uh, Joe Elliott, come on, man. Yeah, that's that's our that's our like double recommendation corner. Everyone, just go find yeah. Hysteria, the Def Leppard story. I'm I, I bet it's on YouTube, I, I or on Vime, on Vimeo, like one of those. I bet you could find it. Um, it's the 20th anniversary of the film. Yes. apparently it came out in 2001, so we could celebrate the 20th anniversary of Hysteria, the Def Leppard story. Um, <laughs> Before we get to our uh, mailbag, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about your big trip to Chicago. Yes. To see some Chicago blues. You saw some blues last weekend in Chicago. That's right. You know, right? Yeah. That, no, you went, to the, you went to the Pitchfork Festival. I did. I did not see, uh, you know, uh, Blind Plumcott, uh, Christofferson, or whatever <laughs> the fuck. Um, you know, uh, yeah, I did. First Pitchfork Fest since 2018. Um, and... Got, like how many have you been to by the way i've been to pretty much every single one since 2008 except for 15 17 and 19 uh for whatever reason situations in my life in those odd numbered years like uh prevented me from going but hmm. um i forgot just how like this wasn't a I, I would tell my you know my co-workers hey i'm going on vacation to chicago and it's like not at all a vacation it is like an immersive experience because i go it's it's you know, it's a festival, but it's also being a part of this universe of writers, of, you know, hangers-on, of punishers, of just music fans that I only can grasp in the abstract online sense. And for four or five days, I am just within that group of people. Like, I don't, it just, it, it I really needed to, Refamiliarize myself with what it's like to be in a room of you know four five hundred people who all know who Oso Oso is. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know because you know with all due respect, like I could probably go the next decade of my life in San Diego working my job, going about my business without meeting someone who knows who that band is, let alone like the songs from their pre Unahan debut. Well, and that's a fun thing about going to shows. It's like you can finally uh, not feel like a like a weirdo, you know, when you're with all these other people who are into what you're into. And and I think we're all experiencing that again, and that's awesome. I'm wondering, like, when you're at Pitchfork Fest and you're hanging out with all these music writers, does the mute button work in person? <laughs> uh, like it works on Twitter, or like do, do you just have to like listen to everyone talk and without being able to get away from it? Yeah, I, I think you just kind of have to. Look, it, it, actually, the mute button comes off usually after uh, that. It's like you meet people who you kind of vaguely know online, and you just realize that you and these people have like 99.99999% overlapping interests, and that it's that 0.00001% narcissism of small differences that make. Uh, someone who slightly disagrees with you on Twitter the most annoying person in the world, even though. If this person was like your coworker in a completely non-music related job, you would be best friends with this person. You would hang on to them as if they were a life preserver, you know? Well, I mean, one thing I've found is that there's 
a certain kind of like social media user who will use social media as like a dumping ground for all of their anger <laughs> and all of their negativity. And then you meet these people in person and they're very sweet people. And because you, this happened, this happened to me a couple of times, like where I've met people and I just assume like, Oh, this is going to be the biggest curmudgeon mm-hmm. uh, in the world. And then you meet them and like, Oh, you're a total sweetheart. And you realize like, Oh, the reason why they're a sweetheart in person is because they're using social media to dump all <laughs> of the toxic waste in their souls you know, so they don't spread it in real life uh which i guess is like a good way to go about living i mean i i guess it's probably better yeah to be pleasant in person <laughs> and and you know toxic online r- rather than the inverse of that although you don't want to be toxic anywhere yeah but if, if you have to be toxic somewhere i guess you want to dump that into your social media thing but i, I find that's disproportionately true of of writers or, or critics the, the the curmudgeonly aspect it can make it a little hard sometimes to interact with that yeah absolutely i mean i i think that's the case for me where uh you know this stuff has to go somewhere you know or I can, <laughs> and i can write it on my journal or whatever but really it's about just like kind of connecting and interacting and yes twitter is the real world the things you say on there Lord knows I know that they have real life repercussions. Um, yeah. But yeah, you, for the most part, you find that most writers are just like the biggest sweethearts. And, you know, you, and, and it's worth remembering whenever someone says something that might ruin your day. But um, I, I also just have to give a shout to the actual festival itself. Like um, it was so it was it was like 2020s festival on delay. Most of the bands there. Aside from, like, say, St. Vincent or Black Midi, um, almost none of the bands on the lineup were uh, on an active album cycle. Uh, so, you know, it was more like who was there from 2020 who needed to step up. And Eve's Tumor, I'm sure you heard, they put on a fucking awesome show. Um, it contrasted a little bit with the fact that it was, like, 5 o'clock in the afternoon, like, bright sun, dust all over the place, and... Yeah, I would love to see that in a dark club with a proper light. I show. was gonna say, I, I, yeah, I heard about this this show. I, that's an act I definitely would have wanted to see. Oh yeah. Um, I read um Chris Deville's review in Stereo Gum of the Phoebe Bridgers set. Yeah, what he and, said was true. <laughs> yeah, and it just made me think that uh, you know Phoebe Bridgers is obviously a big star now, and she's going to be doing these headline slots probably more and more but she does not seem like a headline artist i think she's a headline she's got the catalog and she's she's popular enough but it's just like i just know for me at a festival festivals are more social events than musical events Mm -hmm. and it's like i i love phoebe bridger's music i'd like to see her in a theater but like at the end of the night i just need something louder and dumber (laughs) than, than than her music i mean it just doesn't like this introspective singer songwriter stuff at like nine o'clock yeah, we we need like placebo or something like that. Um, yeah, <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it, without you, I'm nothing. If they played that album in its entirety, oh, God. come on, Woo! like all all there 18 minutes of Burger Queen. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think with Phoebe Bridges, like it, it it she she was absolutely worthy of the headline spot as far as like her popularity and coming off Punisher and so forth. But um, yeah, it's it. And if I were to see that at like a th- two or three thousand capacity th- 
theater, it would have come off much better. But yeah, it kind of, it first off had to compete with another artist who was going 20 minutes long playing like very heavy bass music. And um, yeah, I mean, look, it's a troubleshooting thing. It's not like when Drake played Coachella and it was like the most boring shit imaginable just because like, you know, he doesn't really have a lot of stage presence in an outdoor festival. But um, look, I, I give this entire festival like so much props for actually pulling it off. Uh, you know, a year after the fact in September uh, against the Bears game. Like, I cannot stress how many Justin Fields uh, t-shirt jerseys I saw at the festival. That seems like a great time for to have the festival. It is. Too. I wish, I hope they keep it there. Yeah, because Chicago in September is so much more pleasant than Chicago in July. Uh, you know, this is like the, this is probably the best weather Chicago has. Yeah. Uh, like this month, and it's also true of where I live in Minneapolis. I mean, it's beautiful weather right now. It's like late summer, early fall. Every day is about seventy-five degrees. It's basically San Diego <laughs> here for six weeks, and then it turns into Siberia after that. But um, because you and I cannot be in the same town, uh, legally speaking, yeah, I'm going to Chicago this weekend uh, to see Dead and Co. At Wrigley Field, uh, starring uh, noted indie rocker John Mayer. That's right. Uh, so, and I'm going with a, with a music writer as well, Rob Mitchum, and I think there'll be some other jam leaning indie people in the house that I might see down there. Uh, so we'll talk about that next week. Um, let's get to our mailbag segment, and our whole episode from here on out is the mailbag segment. We get a lot of questions. So it's nice every now and then to just answer questions. Mm-hmm. And it also allows Ian and I just to riff. I mean, these are like the most fun episodes to me. I don't know how you feel. Yes, they are. They, they are the most fun episodes are the Jimothy episodes, but like these are number two <laughs> with a bullet. Yeah, absolutely. I forgot about Jimothy. To me, Jimothy, he's his own category. I don't even like rank him. Yeah. So it'd be, this is my favorite with the noted sort of invisible asterisks that does not include Jimothy. Yes. Um, and by the way, if you want to write us, you can uh, hit us up at IndieCastMailbag at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter. We're at IndieCast1. And uh, we're always making fun over there, too. So so hit us up. Uh, do you want to read the first question? Ooh, yes, I do. All right. So this one comes from Ben in North Canton, Ohio. Um, I didn't know there was a North Canton. Yeah. Yeah, seriously. Like, North Canton, Ohio. Was- that, that's an IndieCast type of town. Is that a separate town from Canton, Ohio? You're 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 gonna ask me this. <laughs> I'm wondering that. I, or is this just like is, is he just very specific about the region of Canton? I only know Canton because of the Pro Football Hall. That's of Fame. yeah, that's what I know as well. And I don't know, maybe it's like a sense of pride to say you're from North Canton, Ohio. It's like, no, man, we're not like those big city slickers with a football hall of fame in Canton. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah, the, the the like those those SOBs in South Canton. Yeah, you know, like like forget them. Yeah, yeah, maybe the Hall of Fame is in South Canton, and the North Canton people are resentful, or maybe the Hall of Fame is in North Canton and they have this insane snobbery about being in North. Yeah. Canton. So basically, Ben, if you're listening and if you've submitted to your ma- our mailbag, I assume you are. We need a follow up email, like just. Yeah. Getting through the finer, granular points of Canton, Ohio. So Yeah, we appreciate all that. All right, but in the meantime, Ben from North 
Canton, Ohio, writes, uh, when is an artist no longer considered indie? Uh, mm. Well, geez, that's a, that's a question that gets the uh, entirety of our podcast. That's like, yeah, existential shit. Uh, is yeah. it when they change their sound, when they have a hit song, when they become too popular with the mainstream, or if they strive for any of those things? So the bands that come to mind are the Black Keys and Kings of Leon. Uh, the Black Keys, of course, you know, they're, they're from Canton. No, they're from Akron, Ohio. My bad. Yes. <laughs> Early in their careers, I feel like they were considered indie then. Somewhere along the way, they became massive mainstream rock bands shunned by the indie community. Perhaps this was this way with U2, R.E.M., and Nirvana as well. Why do some acts retain indie creds such as Arcade Fire, LCD Sound System, Vampire Weekend, and Pavement, and others don't, such as Black Keys and Kings of Leon? Hmm. So I feel like we've been getting more of these questions yeah. lately about like what is indie rock, and sometimes we get angry letters from people who are mad that we're not talking about indie music enough, or like the stuff we're talking about isn't really indie. Mm. Um, this letter is not an angry one. This is more of just like a philosophical question. I don't know about you. I mean, to me, like you know, we've talked in this show about 2013 being a turning point in modern indie history mm-hmm. and um i feel like that was the year where indie as a term officially became meaningless <laughs> because before that i think you could say like well indie it applies to bands that are on independent record labels that are situated outside of the musical mainstream you can be indie in that respect or you can be indie in the sense that you are influenced by the indie canon or you're part of the indie uh, continuum meaning that you probably sound a little bit like pavement you sound a little bit like sonic youth you know uh you know bands like that and really i think since like 2013 or so neither one of those things are remotely true Mm -hmm. and you know you see indie music sites now that cover extremely mainstream you know pop acts along with smaller indie stuff on this show i mean we talk about you know some of the biggest acts in the world on this show Mm. so i don't know i mean i don't even know how to define this term i really don't know what it means other than you know in the same way that people define porn you know like you know it when you see it you know like that's the supreme court definition of that and uh, to me if the supreme court ruled on this that would probably be what they would say about indie it's, it's like a gut feeling that you get from a certain kind of artist does that make sense? Well, I would say if we find it worthy of being reviewed or a trend that needs to be hashed out, then it's indie. Like we are, we are the Supreme Court of indie. You know, like uh, <laughs> right. yeah. If if, yes. if we talk about it, then it's indie. But um, yeah, you know, I think the framing of this question uh, kind of gets to like it kind of gives away the game because you know Kings of Leon. Like I get what Ben is saying. I don't think they were ever considered indie at all. Um, the Black Keys, perhaps, because, you know, they were on an indie label and uh, they, they played like they were kind of seen similar to like White Stripes in that way. Um, but I think that in the same way that like maybe 1991 can be seen as the year alt rock broke, uh, 2013 might be the year indie broke, um, whereas alt rock was at some point used to describe bands like, say, Sponge or uh, the Jim Blossoms or bush which were like the alternative like they were not the alternative to anything like they were the mainstream acts and but nonetheless like whether it's through their dress code or the sound of their music kind of 
deriving from Nirvana, which derived from Pixies and the whole, uh, you know, alt rock history lesson. Um, it, it just, it, it's how you knew it wasn't say Aerosmith, like classic rock, or it wasn't say metal. And I think for indie, it's in a, it's a similar sort of thing where, um, you know, obviously like LC Sound System, Vampire Weekend, Arcade Fire, um, War on Drugs for that matter. Like they're all major label bands. Um, and yet it's not say Muse or Imagine Dragons. Uh, oftentimes like indie uh, describes what something is not rather than what it is. And so I think if you were at one point considered indie, I think that applies pretty much throughout your entire career. Uh, like regardless of whether you make a hit, regardless of like whether or not you change your sound. Um, if you're from that firmament, you're indie and like for the rest of your career. And also I think we have to, <laughs> I think we also have to take into account that like people, the people who talk about this stuff have a very different framework of it than we do. Cause like I'm, at work, when I meet people who say, like, oh, yeah, I like indie. Like, what does that mean? I like still woozy and glass animals. Like, it, <laughs> they don't think of it right. as any, having any bearing on music released on an independent label in the same way that people, you know, will say, yeah, I like R&B, but it doesn't really mean rhythm and blues anymore, you know? Right. Yeah, and, you know, and getting back to the examples that he was mentioning with, like, the Black Keys and Kings of Leon, I agree with you. I don't think Kings of Leon were ever really an indie band, and I don't, I really don't feel like they were ever that acclaimed either. <laughs> uh, um, the first and, album, the first album, maybe? Yeah, I think that maybe, I like, they weren't on, like, that Arcade Fire level, like, where they were getting, you know, like, the same kind of reviews that Funeral got. Well, you know, I, I, I think yeah. that they were always more of like a mixed reaction type band. I think with the Black Keys, you know, what happened with them, along with getting popular, is that the type of music that they make just became way less fashionable over the course of their career. You know, there was a moment in the aughts where, you know, garage rock had some cachet and you could be a garage rock band and you could be pretty well reviewed and you know, looked at as being part of the vanguard of, of indie music. And then in the 2010s, which coincides with the Black Keys becoming this arena band, the kind of music that they were making, I mean, it just was not considered, you know, whatever word you want to use, cool, uh, innovative, you know, anyway down the line. So I think that also sort of coincides like with them maybe being stigmatized in a way that, say, Vampire Weekend hasn't been because I think, what they've done, you know, they make very like well-made songs, good lyrics. It's always pretty forward-thinking production. Yeah. You know, the, the kind of things that they do, that's always going to be in fashion, I think, in indie circles. Um, like, they're a rock band that also felt like a pop band yeah. in a lot of ways. So they could straddle that line, you know, that, that fissure that happened in 2013 that I think a lot of rock bands weren't able to survive, at least in terms of their indie credibility. Mm. Um Let's move on to our next question, and uh, I'll read this one. This comes from Carl in Denver. Mm. Uh, what band or artist could bring two IndieCast hosts together for a night of live music? <laughs> I'm seriously stumped on the answer. Seems like one of you would have to make some pretty noteworthy concessions to the other's taste, and perhaps in exchange, that one wouldn't have to book a flight to make the gig? Uh 
a very special edition of IndieCast, comma, show review needs to happen. The when, where, and who is up to you. So Carl is saying that we need to figure out a show that you and I can go to go to together, and then we'll do an episode on it. Okay. Um, I actually, and I think you're going to agree with me here. I actually disagree with Carl. I, I think that you and I are probably on the same page. Absolutely. On most music. I think we tend to emphasize our areas of, like, divergence on this show because it's more interesting <laughs> to talk about that. But, like, we are two, you know, music critics in our 40s, you know, who, who grew up with similar reference points. So I actually don't think it would be that hard no. to find a show that you and I could enjoy together. Yeah, I think that um, I think that first off, it kind of has to be, like, a destination show. Like, we're... Because, like, yeah. we're not going to go, like... Yeah, I would say that, oh, you know, Steve needs to see Turnstile, which, by the way, like, that was the talk of the town at at Pitchfork Festival. Like, they played the night, they played the night before the festival, and it was just fucking incredible, but... I'm, I'm dying to see them. They're playing here as part of that package. Oh, yeah, with Suicide Boys Suicide and Chief Keef yeah. and Slow Tie. Yeah, it's... Right. Yeah, it's it's... They're playing a huge venue, yeah. Too. I mean, it's like a ten thousand seater. Yeah. The, so I don't know if that's like the best environment to see them. Yeah, in, I guess but, not. Uh, and also, like, they're probably like, the third most popular band on that bill, which you know kind of shows you like rock compared to rap. But um, I mean, we we've spoken on this show about our love for, you with know, all due respect, the B Market Festival. Um, yes. You know the ones that uh, you know aren't Coachella. They may not be Golden Voice. Uh, let's or, so to speak, but. Um, for, for example, like louder than life, this is happening, I believe, uh, two weeks, um, or no, actually I think next weekend in Louisville, which is a city I love, uh, went there all the time when I went, went great city, shout out to Louisville, Yeah, shout out to Louisville, love that, love it there. Um, it's, and louder than life is like one of those festivals that is, they, they just have no illusions about what they are, which is a rock festival, but like one of the rock festivals that somehow is able to get like Snoop Dogg or Cypress Hill, uh, you know, those nineties Lollapalooza rap acts that appeal to, um, you know, rock heads. Um, cause yeah, where else am I going to see like corn Jane's addiction and code orange or something like that. But, uh, I think the one, like if I had to choose the one that's going to bring Steve and I together, a, it's going to be in San Diego because like, look, I. I can envision someone flying out to San Diego for any old reason. All due respect, probably not going to fly out to Minnesota. But Kaboo, uh, it's K-A-A-B-O-O Del Mar. This is a San Diego festival that's coming back in 2022. And this one, it takes place in Del Mar, which is a very ritzy part of a very ritzy part of San Diego in North County. And the I, I, I know we overuse the term chaotic, to describe uh, certain things in music, but like, I want to read to you the 2019 lineup. First off, there was a comedy stage that had Bob Saget and Tom Green, but besides that and Wayne Brady. I'm already there. Dave Matthews Band, Duran Duran, Wu-Tang, Sublime with Rome, Squeeze, Toots and the Maytals, (laughs) uh, Edie Brickell and the New Bohemians, Lifehouse and Switchfoot, that goes without saying. <laughs> Ario oh, Speedwagon, Boys to Men, Cheryl oh. um, oh. Crow, nice. uh, The Cult. So, yeah, what? Yeah, th- it, it's. And oh, Blind Melon. Oh, shit. Blind Melon played. Blind Melon? Yeah. 
Um, like I like that they had Toots and Maytals and Blind Melon because like I know those two bands for sure. The lead singer is is passed yeah. away. Yeah. So like they're still touring. So I wonder if there's any other. Uh, I guess Allison Chains there too. Well, 2008, uh, 2018, they had Nerd, Incubus, Gucci Mane, Jimmy Eat World, oh, Nelly. Like this is like I'm there. Tower of Power, and Soul Asylum, Candlebox, and <laughs> Vanessa Carlton. Uh, I I think Phil, I think Phil from Uprox went to this one one time, and I I I, I remember read. I think it was him who wrote about it. And it's like, yeah, man, it is like really well designed. It's really kid friendly. Uh, it's yeah, I I can't wait to see what they got cooked up for 2022 because I've never been to it yet. I'm gonna I mean, fucking to go. To me, to me, the sign of a good festival because I'm not really interested in music festivals at this point. Like I've been there, done that. Yeah. But like if I'm gonna go to a music festival, I want to look at the bill and and ask myself, do I want to listen to this when I've had about three beers? <laughs> and this lineup, it's like almost every single act you mentioned would be something I'd want to see. If I if I've had three beers and like like Lifehouse, right now I don't really want to see them. But if I have three beers, absolutely. Yeah. I mean that just sounds amazing. So Kaboo. Yeah. That's uh, put it on the schedule. This might have to be. This might have. To, this is twenty twenty two. Is this in the summer? Uh, usually it's like in September. I think. Really? Yeah. Okay. Well, mark your calendars. Maybe one year from today, rock some Kaboo. Yes. Could be good. I think I'm all over that. We'll see. To be, maybe we'll do like a, a GoFundMe, <laughs> and uh, IndieCast listeners can pay for us to go to Kapoo. That's right. Um, you want to read our next question? Oh, oh God, man, this one's. I, I I cannot wait to answer this one. So this is from Tim in Perth. I imagine it's Perth, Australia. I don't know if Perth is like one of those cities that in America that. We, someone was talking about on Twitter where it like gets pronounced entirely differently, like for sales, Kentucky. But anyway, Tim from Perth. We're going to assume it's Australia. Um, yes. It's cooler if it's from Australia. Sure. Yeah, we got that international reach. Uh, I recently restrung my dusty and fetid guitar and thought about my teenage years and hitting the intermediate stage, whereby the Red Hot Chili Peppers under the bridge and my friends and Metallica's fade to black and nothing else matters were ultimately unfruitful in their goal uh, goal of serenading females. Sorry about that, Tim. I have scoured the back catalog of Celebration Rock and IndieCast and would like to hear your takes on the Chili Peppers and Metallica. Personally, I checked out after one hot minute and load, respectively. All right, so this is obviously trying to get like our sensors on high alert because I think I made the same exact, oh, yeah. I checked out after one hot minute and load joke and became the oh, toast of my 10th yeah. grade study hall. So I like it. I like so, it. So, yeah. Innuendos. <laughs> Innuendos, baby. Um, yeah, we, we haven't talked about the Chili Peppers or Metallica, two of the biggest bands in the world yes. for a long time. Still. Um Still, still huge bands. Uh, I don't know, should we talk about the Chili Peppers first? Uh, yeah, I, yeah. Let's talk about the Chili Peppers first. Um, yeah, I mean, God, Blood Sugar Sex Magic. That was such a tremendous bonding experience for my friends and I at the time. You know, with you know, not like my friends, like the the song from One Hot Minute, but. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it turns 30 this month too. We, we should shout out Blood Sugar Sex Magic. Holy shit. 30th anniversary. Oh my God. I think like, it came out I, I, September 24th, 1991. Fuck, man. I, I was not expecting to like be facing my mortality quite to this degree, but fuck, here we are. 30 years. Jesus. 30 years, man, of Blood Sugar Sex uh, Magic. Anthony Kiedis hasn't aged a day. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, 
I, I one hot minute. I own the tablature book. Um, I haven't really listened to them in years, uh, nor do I really plan to. Like, I think what hurts Blood Sugar Sex Magic is that the power of equality is like a really embarrassing song, and it's the first one. But you know, the singles on Blood. It's not the only embarrassing song on that album either. No. I mean, you got Sir Psycho Sexy too. Oh, that's on that. rules. <laughs> yeah, that that that. I mean, that's yeah. I mean, I'll I'll say like I love Blood Sugar Sex. Magic. Yeah, uh, and and part of it is nostalgia because that was an album where you know if you're playing basketball in someone's driveway, <laughs> Blood Sugar Sex Magic would just magically start playing at some point <laughs> in the early '90s. Um, and it's funny you bring up One Hot Minute because that's the Dave Navarro record. That is the Dave Navarro record. And by all accounts, the band was a mess at that point. It took them five years to follow up Blood Sugar Sex Magic, and that was the follow-up. And they were basically a dead band after that record came out. Yeah. Um, I have affection for One Hot Minute, though, as well. I always have this thing like where if you're listening to like like a Jack radio station, you know, you'll hear the beginning of What It's Like by Everlast. <laughs> and I always think, and I always hope it's going to be My Friends. By the Red Hot Chili Peppers because they sound the, exactly the same at the oh, beginning. Oh, jeez, you're right. And, uh, and I hate that Everlast song. Oh, it's tough. That's a song that's just it, for some reason like that's endured as like a Jack Radio, you know, staple. Like I hear that song at least a couple times a month. I feel like I've some I've not heard it in years. Like I remember when oh, it fr- it's awful. when it first came out. Um, also, we did need to do an Everlast episode because I believe he had a. So <laughs> no, we don't. What I what I remember is that the next album, the lead single of that that album, was a song called "Black Jesus." So, oh, yeah, was that album Whitey Ford single? That was the big one. Yeah, that was the big yeah. one. But otherwise, I mean, shit. Yeah, I, Jack. Even at the time, like Red Hot Chili Peppers, um, like in two thousand, let's say, like I. I know that there's like mandatory Metallica on some radio stations. Like there was like not mandatory Red Hot Chili Peppers, but it happened anyway. Like I was working at Ben and Jerry's in 2000 and you would just hear every Californication single like all day, multiple times a day. Things would maybe get broken up every now and again when they would play Three Doors Down Kryptonite. But, you know, after Californication, I kind of checked out. Like it wasn't really fun to like the Chili Peppers anymore. Like I... I yeah. That's like their big is is that their big album now? Do you think that is, can is no way? Do you think it's bigger than Blood Sugar? Sex I don't Magic? think so. I mean, Under the Bridge is still like their Wonderwall. Their Smells Like Teen Spirit. Uh, Give It Away is you know immortal. Um, but maybe I, I don't know. I mean, I feel like as a as a radio album, Californication is the bigger one because Scar Tissue and californication and was there another hit on that album i mean other those songs side. sound other side <laughs> all those mid-tempo pretty yeah which songs. set the which set the which set the stage for like the rest of their you know the past 20 right. years like i mean I, that's like their american idiot you know it just totally yes, it gave is. them a shot in the arm and uh it just ensured that they were going to be a band that that goes the distance you know I'm of the opinion I I really don't like any other Chili Peppers records really other than um, By the way is a good song Blood Sugar Sex Magic um, but I, I keep trying 
to get into their other records. Like, I actually bought, by the way, recently, because I've heard that it's the most Frusciante-centric Chili Peppers record. And I like John Frusciante. That's, like, a very sort of, like basic opinion yeah on the chili peppers it's like, it's like the contrarian's opinion that became basic right but I, you know it's how i feel and really with the chili peppers you know i feel like with that band the biggest liability is anthony kiedis i i, I he's the one that always uh kills that band for me because i think the instrumentalists are all pretty great but kiedis is like such a bonehead <laughs> that, but I also can't imagine them having a different frontman. I mean, he is the perfect frontman for that band, but um, like his voice and like his lyrics <laughs> are like so bad. Uh, no, oh, he's the single most irreplaceable frontman in rock music history. Like <laughs> he, like you just you can't re- like if he somehow. Well, I, I think you're probably right. Like I think he's an essential part of that band, but he also like kills that band for me. Uh, when I listen to them, um, although I'm listening to the audiobook of his autobiography, uh, mm-hmm. Scar Tissue, read by writer, like Ryder Strong, reads it. From, you know the guy yeah. from Boy Meets World. Hey, did, have you read that book? I've not, but I pro I probably not that it would like sully my opinion of that band because I, you know, it's just like he is like Neo from the Matrix dodging cancellation, but... I mean, he it, it actually made me like Kiedis more because I oh. think he's an interesting person. And and that book is just really entertaining. Uh, so it, it made me appreciate him more and it made me like want to get into other Chili Peppers records. But like Californication, like the deep cuts on that album are like pretty bad, I think. Oh. I, mean, I can't I imagine know. how they'd be bad. I mean, they write the same song 20 times. Well, like all their... All like the like the sex funk songs are so oh those are the deep cuts yeah I thought like, they stopped making the sex funk songs after uh, no, one hot minute no I think there's I think they still do them they just don't release them as singles anymore oh. and I don't know just Anthony Kiedis singing about sex over like you know slap bass uh, I, just I don't would rather it. hear it's... that nowadays than. You know, another like poignant song about California, or like, <laughs> have you heard the Adventures of Rain Dance Maggie recently, or Danny Cal? Like, these are some of the <laughs> dumbest songs I've ever heard on the radio. Like, uh, what was it called? Rain- the Adventures of Rain Dance Maggie. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> like, th- someone needs to fact check me on that. I'm I'm 95 positive that that's a real song and that's the name of it. Or you know, failing that – actually, the best Red Hot Chili Peppers song, there was one comedian who uh, who made, like, a fake Red Hot Chili Peppers song. I think it was called, like, Abracadabra Californication or something like that. And it was easily right. the best Red Hot Chili Peppers song of the past, like, 25 years. Right. Although, you know, Frashanti's back in the band now, and I got to say I'm curious about this new record because he's on it. You know, I'm a, I'm a basic Frashanti fan. So he's back – so, like, I'm I'm way more curious – about a new Red Hot Chili Peppers album than I would be otherwise. Like the the, the Josh Klinghoff yeah. era? Or I mean, there's only so much he could do, but... Yeah. I mean, yeah. I feel bad for him. Well, not re- I don't really feel bad for him. He's in the fucking Red Hot Chili Peppers, <laughs> you know? That's what about we What about Metallica, though? So, I like Metallica more than the Chili okay. Peppers. I'll say that at the start. Um, you know, it's funny with this band because they have... 
if you look at like classic era Metallica, it, it is almost like the opposite of the Chili Peppers, and the Chili Peppers are like this goofy band mm-hmm. singing about humping over slap bass, yeah. and Metallica singing about like you know veterans of war who get their legs blown <laughs> off and how they wish they could die. You know, like that was like Metallica in the eighties. Yeah. But um, I actually think Metallica, in their own way, is like a pretty funny band, like not intentionally. <laughs> But just think of all the all the memes with Metallica. Yeah, know? I mean, some kind of monster is like I think the most enduring Metallica work. That and like you know my my lifestyle determines my death style. I mean all. <laughs> I mean and that's tied up with some kind of monster too, like the Saint Anger. Yeah. Uh, some kind of monster stuff. The Saint Anger snare sound. And like James Hetfield, like his his voice is is pretty funny. You know, just singing in a James <laughs> Hetfield voice is funny. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I think their classic records hold up. I mean, I, I probably check out after the Black Album, but like Load and Reload, I like the radio songs from there. Hmm. And I'm just fascinated by that era of Metallica, like the haircut oh, it's gr- era. Yeah. Like, where they're wearing like suits. They kind of were like, like, I know Lars Ulrich likes, likes uh, U2. It almost seemed like uh. Metallica was trying to be U2 in that era. Or ZZ Top or something like, you know, when ZZ Top went disco or something like that. They're also a great live um, band. Have you seen Metallica live? They're no, awesome. I've never they're seen like Metallica. A, oh, I'm they're sure like they are. the band you want to see in an, in an arena. Like, number one. Ah. You know, or, or they're up there anyway. Like, like mm. what I was saying before, like a loud, dumb band. That's what I want to hear at the end of the night at a festival. Like, that's why Metallica should just headline every festival. It'd be amazing. Yeah. They're the band you want to see at 10 o'clock. When you just like want to like party, <laughs> yeah. All the all those uh, you know, like uh, Welcome Home Sanitarium and uh, One and Fade to Black. Yeah, yeah. But there's also put your beers in the. I know. You know, hit the lights. There's a song about <laughs> werewolves on the Black Album, <laughs> wherever I may roam. You know. Yeah. You, you know, even that's a dumb song. Even like their heavy songs from the '80s, like the you know, like Fade to Black. I think is about suicide. And, it is. Uh, sanitarium is about. I guess being in a sanitarium. Yeah, um, I, most of them are probably about drugs, like Master of Puppets. Like somehow I know this, even though I haven't really listened to any of them. They're good. I mean, like Master of Puppets, Ride the Lightning. Those are great records. I, and, and Justice for All. I think they all hold up. I th- yeah, I, th- I think with me, with Metallica, Load might be the album of theirs I've listened to the most. <laughs> that or Reload, because look... I, they came out when I was 16. They were like the first Metallica albums I bought like while, like as part of their album, uh, their active album cycle. Like the Black Album, I owned it. I'm sure of that. But like it was constantly on MTV, constantly on the radio. I didn't need to actively listen to a Metallica CD. Um, Load was awesome because it advertised on the CD 78 minutes and 59 seconds like to say like, it filled the maximum capacity of a cd which uh, you know nowadays it's like why the fuck would i possibly want that especially if you know it's a really shitty version of metallica but you know i'm like taking five hour bus rides to visit my brother at penn state like i need the most music possible if i'm gonna spend 16 dollars on a cd also like Two by four is a funny song. Ain't my bitch is a funny song. The Unforgiven two, really funny song. Yeah, just the concept of that, I love that they called it the Unforgiven yeah. two. <laughs> you know, it's like, I think they made it an Unforgiven three. Oh right? yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a trilogy, 
And uh, it's at the end of every Unforgiven, they're like, you know what? There's more story here. We have not told the whole story. <laughs> we need to expand this into an epic of, of rock proportions. I, I love the cover of uh, Turn the Page that they did around that time, too. Like, I don't know. Was that on Load or Reload? Or did they? No, they did like the Garage Days. Yeah, they did that with like they covered whiskey in the jar and they covered turn <laughs> the right. page and they had like whiskey a, in the uh, jar. Oh, <laughs> that's a terrible Hatfield. Can you do a yeah, Hatfield? I, I, I uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Give it oh, fuel. That's a funny fucking song yeah. too. Oh yeah, that's a that's a jam though. That's also a jam. You can laugh at that song. Give me dabba dabba da. Give me fuel. Give me fire. Yeah. Give me that which head is high. <laughs> yeah, we're we're gonna do an entire episode in James Hetfield voice. Oh my god! And we'll get we'll yeah. get actual James Hetfield to do a cameo too. How amazing yeah. would that be? Also, I think we just have to point out that Metallica is a really funny name. It, <laughs> it's true. It's true. You know, has there been a band recently? That put the name of their genre in the title of the band. There's like a billion ska right. bands that do exactly. that. Exactly. Right? And, and like with metal, there'd be, you know, the, the, like there was Metal Church. There were, I think there were like other bands that had like metal in the name. But is there. Yeah, I mean, De- Deftones is an example of a band that, like, if they had the chance to do it over again, you know, it kind of locks them into a certain genre. I don't know, though. I feel like that name is transcended. Uh, the the genre. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I just I just like bands that have deaf in the in, in the name. <laughs> yeah, Def Leppard, Def Tones, Def Def Squad. Yeah, it's great. More deaf bands. Yeah. All right, we've now reached the part of our episode that we call Recommendation Corner, uh, where Ian and I talk about something that we're into this week. Ian, why don't you go first? So, I got to give a shout out to you know Midwest emo bands who are not at all from the Midwest of America. I love how this sound has transcended geography. Uh, so, we're going to give a little bit of a focus to our, your, our the European wing of uh, Midwest emo. A couple albums came out last... Uh, Friday that from bands that I've been following for quite some time. The first is You Could Be a Cop. Uh, they're a band from Norway and they just released their quote unquote complete discography. It's a collection of songs they've released since 2017, very much in the realm of uh, Raina Maria or Mineral, that slow, pretty, uh, completely off key vocals. Uh, that stuff I love so much. So, you know, it's an hour long, it's a lot to dig into. I think they went underwent some lineup changes throughout the past four years. So you get to hear many different versions of the same band. Uh, otherwise a new, um, new album from a band called I feel fine. They're from England. Uh, the record's called the cold in every season. So if you listen to IndieCast, I know you love gang vocals and stuff you hear on like Jeff Rosenstock or uh, pup albums or dog leg for that matter. This band does the gang vocal thing. Like that's the all that's the whole vocals. Like they do that all the time, except it's within the context of these very uh, kind of American football, pretty guitar arpeggio, clean guitar sort of thing going on. So it's it, it makes me think of like an unplugged Crash of Rhinos. I know that's kind of an IndyCast Hall of Fame type of band. <laughs> also, the only emo band from the UK that I think really. Uh, you know, made it across the seas. So, 
Um, very autumnal, but like it's it, it's like you know when the leaves change, but you still want to like get a gang of people together to yell at stuff. I feel fine. That's the album for you. All right, and the band I want to talk about is called Tone Starts Band Hut, and you're gonna to want to look at the notes on this episode for the spelling of of it. It's a very crazy spelling, uh, but you're gonna to want to check this band out. They're they're a two person group from Orlando. They formed in 2008. They actually have 17 records uh, to their mm-hmm. name, so they've been very prolific over the years. However, they haven't put out an album since 2017, but they will be putting out a record next month on October 22nd called Petunia, and it's uh, mm-hmm. being teased with a really great single called What Has Happened and uh, that you want to go check out. You de- want, definitely want to go to their Bandcamp page, or I think it's also on all the streaming platforms. Uh, but this is a band that I would say falls under the Indie Jam umbrella i've heard them discussed on indie jam twitter this week uh this is a bit i would say that when you listen to the record you can hear elements of groups like can and the velvet underground a lot of 60s psychedelia um however Hmm. this new single in particular it it reminds me of almost like a jammier radiohead like if like if radiohead had jammed out on on songs from kid a uh it stretched Uh. them out to like seven or eight minutes it would sound like the new single. And uh, I think that's also true of like a lot of other songs on the record. Really good stuff. Again, lots of kind of hypnotic grooves that go to really interesting places and cool guitar work and lots of you know synths and, and just a lot of cool stuff going on. Uh, so if you're into that kind of thing, I think you will like this band. Again, they're called Tone Starts Band Hut. Look at our notes for the spelling so you know how to look <laughs> them up. Uh, but yeah, that record, Petunia drops next month i think it's worth checking out i had no idea that the hut was part of it like i thought it was tone starts band i did not know about the hut part i looked up specifically how to pronounce this band name uh because i've seen it over the years i never knew how to pronounce it i knew i'd have to be saying it out loud on a podcast and according to what i saw that is how to say it if i got it wrong if you know this band please let me know but i think that's how you say it but yeah definitely look them up Kind of shocked they're from Orlando. I always thought they were like a New York band because I I, I just remember them from like the early 2010s. Um, and also they, I think they had a few songs on the soundtrack for the James Franco movie, Palo Alto. Oh. One of the worst movies I've seen in theaters. Just like, imagine what a James Franco book what and movie would be like. What inspired you to see that in the theater? Uh, look, I, like in LA at the time, I would go see any movie if it had air conditioning in the summer. So, like, like there it is. Like this 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 James Franco directorial effort looks like it could be good. I'm gonna go see. Yeah, I saw it at like three o'clock in the afternoon, <laughs> man. Like, I, I I had no standards at that point. Oh man. Well, that is a great note to end this episode on. So thank you all for listening to this episode of IndieCast. We'll be back with more news and reviews and hashing out trends next week. And if you're looking for more music recommendations, sign up for the Indie Mixtape Newsletter. You can go to uprocks.com backslash indie, and I recommend five albums per week, and we'll send it directly to your email box.